and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. Unfortunately, Steve, the local sports talk option that we had today, it, it, it has to be talked about, but it's 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 not going to be a fun day. For None of it's any good. No. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm this is going to be a rough Saturday. I'm glad that this is how we're selling the show, and it's 11 and 30 seconds on the clock. Good night, everybody. Well, we're not going to start with that. Good night, good day, however you want to phrase it. Um, Let's get through it. We'll get through it together. We're going to hold hands, kumbaya, all the way through this? We have to. We're going to get through what we're going through with the Suns right now. Let the abuse begin. Yeah, Let it begin. No kidding. We'll start with this. 30-point lead here at halftime. The Suns throw the ball up, but the buzzer sounds ending the half, and certainly not a good one for the Suns. Here's our score at the halftime intermission. Denver 81, Phoenix Suns 51. Again. 81. Again, I want to emphasize. You said halftime? Halftime. Oh, boy. Halftime. Oh, boy. Halftime. And they were down by 30. Yeah. Well, they won. They they lost the game by 25. Is that right? Oh, good. Good. Do you want so to give them a So they played better in the second trophy? half than the first. Actually, they played better in the first half of the first quarter than they did in the second half. Oh, boy. Not to get semantical about it. But we are going to get semantical about it because that sucked. Yeah. That sucked. Yeah. And it, it sucked the life out of every Suns fan in that building, too. Yeah, and you know, I kind of, I watched it at home. I didn't go to the game, but I did go to game seven last year. And I know a lot of people feel kind of similar about this game six to the Dallas game seven last year, where at halftime they were down by, I think it was like 30-ish or uh, Luka Doncic had more points. They were down by exactly 30. It was 30. (laughs) Luka had more points than I think the Suns had as a team at that point. Uh, they end up losing the game by 30-plus. It, it, it has a similar vibe to it because you end both seasons on the absolute lowest of lows. On the duddiest of dud. But I'm actually here to tell you that this is easier for me to stomach this year than last year. The reason being is last year we didn't really understand what happened. We didn't really comprehend what the reasons were that the Suns lost to the Mavericks. I still don't An think inferior we have. team, by the way. Uh-huh. A team that did not make the playoffs this year. In fact, they were tanking on the last day of the season, which is pretty weird. (laughs) Uh, A team that we knew the Suns were better than them last year. They showed it throughout the majority of that series and then just blew it in Game 7. So Chris Paul aged overnight, literally. He got older because it was his birthday. He turned 37, and then the next thing you know, he looked like he was 47. We didn't understand why did he disappear all of a sudden. Uh, What happened with DeAndre Ayton in Game 7 and Monty Williams yelling at each other on the bench? Uh, All these questions we didn't have answers to that we were trying to figure out for weeks after that Game Mm 7. This is different. We know why the Suns lost to the Nuggets. We know why. Because a week ago, you and I sat here and said, okay, the the Suns have won two games in a row. Is it sustainable, though? Probably not. Because they were relying so heavily on two players that if you did have a cold shooting night, one or the other, or God forbid, both. You're screwed. You can't win. And And that's exactly what happened. They both had cold shooting nights, not just in game six, game five, too. Yeah. They looked mortal. They looked human. It was one of those, oh, Devin Booker missed his fifth shot. I guess not everything is possible. Although I joke because when we were on the air last Saturday, I said, if he goes 20 for 25 again, I'll donate. And then he went 14 of 18. Pretty pretty darn good. Donating. Like, 
it's insane to me that you could reach that highest level of high only to immediately roll the dice and land on the longest shoot on the shoots and ladders board. And you have to go all the way back to the start again. And that's where we're at. We have to start over, basically. You have, and Kevin Durant worded it this way in post game. They have a foundation. And then I saw, I can't remember who termed it, but one of the writers who was following the series, he pointed out that maybe that's all the Suns have is a foundation. And they don't have much else. And yes, a foundation is a good starting point, but it's not a good finishing point, especially against the Denver Nuggets team that had a fully built foundation and house and heck, casita, if you even want to throw it out there. They were fully ready to go. The Suns were not. A lot of good role players on that team. I mean... If you want to talk about like the top two guys on each team's roster, I'll take the Suns' top two guys over the Nuggets' top two guys. But that's part of the problem, is it not? But once you start talking three through five, I would certainly take the Nuggets three through five than the Suns. Three. I don't even know who the Suns' three through five is. It's probably Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, Do and... Do they even know who their three through five campaign? is? Campaign? Jock Landale in the playoffs? I mean, if you have to squeam trying to find the answer, you don't have an answer. Yeah, and I, you know, it's funny. We were talking about this before the show, too, uh, and we're going to get into it in more detail later, but, you know, the Durant trade, I, I hear from a lot of people this narrative that the Suns gave up Everything. They blew up the whole team for Kevin Durant. And while part of that may be true, they gave up some very valuable pieces, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like the Durant trade in hindsight, totally respect that. That's your opinion. But it's not like the Suns gave up their entire bench to get him. They gave up a starter, a really good one in Mikkel Bridges. They gave up two. They gave up Cam. Cam. Cam Johnson, I don't think, was a starter. He may have been starting games at the time, but I think of him as the sixth man. Okay. So you gave up one bench player. Jay Crowder doesn't count because he didn't even want to play for this team and did not play for this team at all this season. Didn't even play for his final team this season. I don't even count Jay Crowder necessarily as giving up a bench piece because he wasn't going to play for this team either way. You gave up one bench player, Cam Johnson, in the Durant deal. It's not like they blew up their entire bench. Shamit was still on that bench. Campaign was still on that bench. And they got back. Bismack Biombo was on that. They bench. got back T.J. Warren, and look how useful he was in games three and four. He he was pivotal in them winning those games. Yeah, yeah, he had his moments. Terrence Ross had his moments. He was a buyout guy uh, towards the end of the season, but but it also it's took not like Monty the, until game three and game four to even utilize them. It's not like the Kevin Durant trade emptied out the coffers, so to speak. No. Took away all the depth on the team. The depth they had in the playoffs is basically the same depth they had early in the season, minus Cam Johnson. That's really the only bench piece missing because you traded for Kevin Durant. I think it hurts more so because Mikael Bridges was quite literally an Iron Man. I think somebody was telling me a stat the other day that he's played the most games and the most minutes in the last two years, and the next closest person is like several games and several minutes behind them. Shocker, he played 83 games this year out of an 82-game schedule. Like, that tends to happen. He's a lot younger than Durant. He's, in a lot of ways, he's comparable. He's not the scorer that Durant is, don't get me wrong, but he has scored a ton with the Nets as their lead option. He looks like a great lead option, doesn't he? He does. And what were the Suns trying to figure out in this offseason leading up to this year? We need other ball handlers. We need other guys that we can count on to score. And you can bet that at the top of that list was Mikel Bridges. And look at how well he's flourished in Brooklyn since. I think it's a matter of what he's been asked to do. Because in Brooklyn, 
they emptied everything out and brought in Mikel Bridges. I mean, he's the star now. There's no Kyrie Irving. There's no Kevin Durant. And they it's got Mikel him on a Bridges. Very nice contract. So they were just like, you know what? We don't have high expectations. We have a good record because Kyrie and Kevin got us to this point, but now we have to trade them. Uh, so they said to Mikel, listen, just go do your thing. Go do whatever it is that you, you think is best. And he's amazing. But that's not what the Suns asked him to do. The Suns asked him to be a lockdown defender, defend the best player on the other team every night, and let Devin Booker do his thing offensively. But I think what's annoying is you can still ask that of a guy and have him also contribute offensively. Totally. Because then you get Kawhi Leonard, then you get Paul George, and for a long period of time, you get LeBron James, too. Here's Built the other differently, thing. structurally differently, but like... You're, to limit a guy just to be the defensive stopper is an asinine approach to basketball, in my opinion. I don't disagree with you there. Here's the other aspect of this. I don't think that if Mikel, if it was Mikel Bridges on this team now instead of Durant, I don't think Devin Booker goes off the way he did in the playoffs. Well, because there's no I don't else think to Mikel, go off. I don't think Mikel opens that door for him the way Kevin Durant did. Devin Booker calls it gravity. He calls it the uh, that the Kevin Durant draws people off of Booker. And it's true because of how dangerous he's Creates been his entire spacing. career. Yeah. I don't think Mikel ever elevates Booker to the level that we saw. And we're going to talk plenty about Devin and what his playoff legacy really is uh, after this failure. It's a failure. It's a failure. Monty Williams yesterday in exit interviews and locker cleanout. If it felt like a rush to get everything to work. You can ask questions and say, do we have enough time? Do, all those things may be valid, but I, I don't I don't think so. I think it's my job to make it work and make guys comfortable. And at the end of the day, uh, we had enough time to get things done. And uh, we just didn't. And look, the, if we were to make our offseason lists, our, our one, two, three, however long the list goes. The question is, is what do we have? Number one. Biggest questions? Yeah. Like, if we were to just break it down and throughout the next two hours, we're going to individually break down each item on our list. But the real question is, is like, what is item number one? Because it feels like there could be three options at number one. The four questions I have, it's four individuals. It's, is James Jones still running this organization, running the team? Is Monty Williams still the head coach? Is Chris Paul still here? And is DeAndre Ayton gone? And if I had to weigh which one has the most impact on the team next year, it's the head coach. So that's probably the most impactful, the most, but not the most likely to change, in my opinion. The most likely to change for me is probably DeAndre Ayton, which we'll dive into as well. I mean, look, I think this entire offseason hinges on just those two. I mean, those are two big ones. You can make arguments for Chris Paul, of course, who's got a unique contract situation and a unique state as his NBA career feels like it's winding down. And then you've got everything that is under the Matt Ishbia hood now. There was a report yesterday that there's already been a front office executive and two scouts that have been relieved of duty. Good. Nameless, I will add. So it was kind of a big report. We don't really know who that is, but... But the fact that changes are happening might signal that even bigger changes are on the horizon. Yeah, and that needs to be said, too, kind of to your point. I think you were getting there is that when Matt Ishbia took over the team midseason, it's not like he was going to fire everybody and clean house at that point. So we're kind of reaching that point where now that the season is over, changes need to happen now. But we can't rule it out because this always happens with new owners. They want to put their stamp on it, right? It's true. They want to be the ones that are immediately remembered 
as the greatest owner of blank team ever. I mean, he traded for Durant 12 hours after buying the team, right? And he seemed like such a reprieve from the previous owner. So he's trying to cement it that way. So, to our point, if we're going to make an off-season list, number one, let's start with the man down low. Okay. That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the no question about it. DeAndre Ayton is regressing, especially when you look at the playoff numbers. And he's still under contract for the next three years, thanks to the Pacers and their offer they gave him last offseason. Stupid Pacers. Uh, or is, is it stupid Suns? I mean, I'm not going to say they were stupid to bring him back. They they didn't want to lose him for no, nothing. No, 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 no. I'm not saying it was stupid to bring him back. The whole... We're not going to give you the max contract. We're going to let you test free agency, and when you get your max contract, then we'll pay it. That feels stupid to me. Well, here's here's the facts. The Suns soured on DeAndre Ayton. Suns brass. Gambo laid it out yesterday pretty well that after the 2021 season, what is that? That's the finals run. It was the Milwaukee run. After the finals run, Monty Williams and the Suns soured on DeAndre Ayton. Those are Gambo's words. That's That's reported. And that basically they didn't show up. Monty didn't show up to the signing of the contract. The the way you just laid out that it actually went, the contract negotiations, the Suns essentially wanted Aiton gone. It's just they didn't want him gone for nothing. And nobody was willing to offer anything of significance. The Pacers swooped in and made an offer uh, on restricted free agency that the Suns wished that they hadn't done. And only, they basically had what, to sign two minutes deal. later match. They had to. Right? That or was lose him for nothing. That was how quickly that report came out, right? It was the Pacers are going to sign Aiton to a max offer sheet. And then two minutes later, a follow-up, oh, the Suns just matched it. It just feels to me like you can't have DeAndre Ayton back next season. The way this ended with him not playing in Game 6. Now, he his injury must have been very painful. Don't get me wrong. Oh, it was. I'm sure it reporting. was deep rib contusion. Look, oh, yeah. I don't expect anybody to come back from that in 24 hours, let alone 24 weeks. But tell me that's not the way that you want to go out sitting on the bench in the most important game of the season. And, and you know what? Looking at Chris Paul, too. And I totally understand groin injuries. I mean, they're some of the worst. Look at what happened to Devin Booker midseason. I mean, he was out for a while with a groin injury. And this is a, what, 37, 38 year old Chris Paul who's trying to get back in, into the playoffs with one. I'm not saying that they should have played in that game, but that's not a good look going out that way. If you're 25-year-old DeAndre Ayton, three years left on his contract, he said all the right things at uh, his exit interview. You know, I'm going to continue to work hard for the Suns. I don't know that the Suns want him there. It sure doesn't feel like the head coach wants him there. So what Gambo was saying yesterday is either Monty's got to go or DeAndre Ayton's got to go. Is kind of how it feels. I can't. No, I mean, Imagine them the both hinge, being back. Who would you rather be gone from? We're obviously focusing on Aiton in this particular part of the conversation, but I'd rather I'd rather lose Aiton than Monty because I have faith that Monty can work with another guy. I mean, look what this level of success Josh uh, Jock Landale had in Aiton's place in the playoffs. Not like Jock Landale is the superior player. Aiton's got more athleticism. Better footwork. He's more mobile. He's Look, a better was, offensive it player. It was evident in Game Six how much better Aiton was 
and the fan base is probably never going to give him the credit for it, but Denver destroyed the Suns in the paint. You know who would have been really nice to have down low to prevent a lot of those attempts? Aiden. DeAndre Ayton, who's actually, for his credit, a much better paint defender than we're giving him for. Uh, I'll give you that. Okay, even think back to game four. What was it? The the Suns went up with a shot attempt, and it was not one, not two, not three. No, it was three. Sorry, LeBron. Three offensive rebounds on the first shot attempt. Is there a better paint presence than that? I don't see Jock Lando grabbing three offensive boards in a span of 30 seconds. So if you were to, let's say, trade DeAndre Ayton, they're not cutting him. That's not happening. So, no. I mean, there's three years left on the deal, and there's Look, like there's 90 two, plus million, 100 million left or whatever. Let's be realistic. There's two options. You keep him or you trade him. And you probably are not going to get anything good for him. What can I mean, I, this is a hypothetical. We don't know. We're not GMs. But like, what can you realistically get a first rounder? Because I don't think you can. No, because you got remember, you got to match contracts too. Whatever they get back has to be within a certain percentage, like 80% or whatever it is of his salary. Do you get a second rounder? I mean, maybe, but I'm, I'm just, James I'm not, Jones doesn't value those I'm anyway. Not, I'm not talking the full trade. I'm just talking what is his value? Uh, like pick-wise. Can you even get a second rounder? I don't think you get all? picks. I think you're probably looking at getting a really expensive role player. So Aiton just became a salary dump in a trade, basically. And you have to take on somebody else's crappy salary. Yeah, I mean, it's not much of a salary dump when you're getting one back, I guess. But I don't think you're getting much value out of this. You might just get, had a really rough playoff. You might get two bad contracts for the one. Maybe. I mean, you could. But what team has two bad contracts? It's not a lot. I don't know. Are the Pacers still interested? The Pacers were the only team, it seemed like, one of the only teams very interested in Aiton in the last offseason. They gave him the restricted free agency offer. Now, I still wonder, was that because they actually wanted Aiton or because they just wanted to stick it to the Suns? Well, guess what they did in about Maybe both. January. You know what they did? You might have missed it, but they uh, extended Miles Turner, their current center, for the next two years. A guy that's gotten talked about a lot. For about the same money that Aiton's getting, by the way. So I think they found their answer. And their replacement, kind of funny how life works that way, Could right? you just flip-flop them? No. Aiton for Turner straight up? I don't think the Pacers want Aiton anymore. I, I don't know. I don't know if they want him or not. Because they might be in the same position with Turner that the Suns were with Aiton. Like, we're not particularly fond of him, but it's the player we have, and he's available to be signed by us, so therefore we get him. Look, here's the You know thing. what I mean? Here's the thing. Based off of all, the, I'm doing this based off of all the reporting that I've been hearing, reading, et cetera, et cetera. There was even one yesterday from Tim McMahon who said that Aiton would love a fresh start. You know who could give him a fresh start? A new head coach. Quite frankly. Here in Phoenix? Yeah. A new head coach is going to come in and understand, okay, so I've got this otherworldly, long-living, first ballot Hall of Famer in Kevin Durant. I've got this up-and-coming, rising superstar who was a first All-NBA teamer in 2022 in Devin Booker and a potential MVP candidate year to year. I've got Chris Paul, who's the point god, the eight, the, well, I guess I can't say ageless wonder anymore because he keeps getting hurt, but he's savvy veteran and he understands his role but needed to. And then I've got this guy who I don't think has really figured it out at the NBA level like he tells the media he has, right? I saw a, a clip package that uh, Saul Bookman who went to U of A and does coverage for the Suns. I saw a clip package he put together of DeAndre Ayton's one season at U of A. And granted, maybe there's some stuff that's being left out of this particular clip package, but it's a lot of the stuff that I haven't seen one time 
in his tenure in a, as a son. Shooting from three, backing down the defender in the paint and doing a spin move and going up for the clear, easy layup. What he's doing at this level is he's backing down, but then he's backing out and he's doing mid-range floaters and free throw line jumpers. Like he's not doing any of the same stuff that he was doing at U of A. Yeah. Maybe it's because his role is different now. I haven't. And he's not the number one option. I haven't watched the same footage, so I can't speak to that specifically. But I mean, like, that's college, man. It's not like U of A didn't play anybody good in college. It's just that it's college. They were one this of the, the best NBA teams we're in college, about. though. I know, but look how many guys are the best in the world when they're in college. Nerlens Noel was the best shot blocker I'd ever seen at the college level. And then he goes to the NBA, and he's kind of average. I, I get it. Not everybody best. pans out. I understand that. But you have to imagine that there's still something there. He is a number one overall pick, right? And I'm not saying every number one overall pick works out. Look at Michael Oluwa Candy for Pete's sake. Right. Look at Anthony Bennett. Like, it doesn't always work out. Not. But I, I have a hard time believing that there is absolutely nothing left of Aiton. So, in your mind, is the best scenario for the Suns to just stick it out with the top four players? Durant, Booker, Paul, Aiton all back? I'm and then say- you find a new coach who can work with it. Well, now that you've entertained that, yes. As opposed to trying to find a trade partner for Aiton and see what you can get. I generally think it's easier to eat money that has nothing to do with the salary cap than it is to eat money that has everything to do with the salary cap. Right? It's easier to... Well, how funny it is that now we go from a coach who had a contract extension and then gets fired a year later. That hasn't happened yet. But Monty Williams signed a contract extension and he's going to be due like... 20 to 25 a year after this upcoming next season. Like, do you eat that or do you try to get rid of 32 million against the cap? I feel like one's easier than the other. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm hearing you, man. And I'd hate to give up three prime years of a, an elite athlete. Like I think Aiton is an elite athlete. He just isn't an elite basketball player. And he's going to be 25, 26, 27 years old in the next three seasons. That's his prime. I would hate to trade him, and then he goes to, I don't know, I'm just throwing this out there. You trade him to the Warriors for Jordan Poole or something. That's something I've seen a lot on social media, by the way. Another bad contract. And then he becomes the best version of DeAndre Ayton for somebody else. That's the risk that you're running. That you do the Max Scherzer trade where, okay, like we like him, but eh, he's not the best option, so we're going to trade him away. And now he wins like a bunch of Cy Youngs in a championship or two. Or Hassan Reddick, you don't give him the fifth-year option, he is a juggernaut in his final year with the Cardinals, goes right. to the Panthers, bets on himself. Right. And then he was almost the defensive player of the year for the Eagles. There's plenty of year. examples of it. I, I, It's a risk that you're going to run if you trade DeAndre Ayton. And, and, and I you don't know, know what it is. It just feels like PTSD because this has happened so damn much in a decade. It here. just feels to me like the Suns brass is disinterested in DeAndre Ayton. Is that fair? I oh, mean, it's totally fair. I, I don't know how you keep that relationship together when you don't like each other. Could you stay with a girlfriend if you didn't like her? If look, she didn't like you? Look, the obvious answer is you don't. That's it. It's one or the other. And it's realistically, it's probably going to be Aiton. Coming up next, let's let's talk about the other side of this equation. What happens to Monty Williams? There's other good coaches out there available. Does one of them appeal more to Matt Ishbia than the guy who's already in-house? We're going to dive into that difficult conversation next on Arizona Sports Saturday. 
Mitch Veraldis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Heard the big voice, Mitch Veraldis, that's me. Steve Zinsmeister, that's him. We've got a uh, tandem behind the glass today. We've got Trevor Henry, of course, and then we've got Josh. I, for- I forgot to ask for Josh's last name, but Josh is awesome. Josh is doing some training today. He's working on cutting up the uh, Kevin McCabe show from Saturday. How are you liking him so far, Trev? We're doing pretty good. We're in good hands. That's good. That's good. I like to hear that. I like I like Josh so far. It's only been about a month that Josh has been here, about a month, right? So something like that. Yeah. Josh has been working behind the scenes, working hard. He's been a good guy to talk, talk to, chat with, like Josh. Somebody else needs to have a chat with somebody soon, and that would be Monty Williams. And he needs to have a chat. I don't know. Who does he need to have a chat with? Is it James Jones? Is it Matt Ishbia? Is it DeAndre Ayton? Who does Monty Williams need to have a chat with more right now? Um, I think he's in a waiting holding pattern. You mentioned he signed a contract extension. Yep. He's the coach of the Phoenix Suns. There's no doubt about that right now. Right the, now. The, the doubt is that there's always a chance that new ownership pulls the plug on that and has bigger, grander ideas in their heads. They always want to bring in their guy. I mean, look what happened when Ishbia uh, signed on with the Suns. Pretty quickly, he added a new CEO. That wasn't to be unexpected. That's what business people do, and you can do that midseason, and it doesn't impact the basketball team. But also, it's part of it is coming off of this scathing investigative sure. report that totally. eventually was found to be true, and you have to... You have to sweep out the bad so that you can clean things up and make it look nice again. What Ishbia couldn't do midseason is fire coaching staff, front office changes are difficult. Sure. Um, those things are more likely to happen now. Now is the first opportunity where making those decisions does not directly impact wins and losses because the season is over. So you're looking ahead. This is Ishbia's chance to make his mark on the front office and the coaching staff if he deems that he can make them better than they currently are. So the question is, would you rather have Monty Williams be your head coach next season? Or is it one of these three head coaches that have won a championship in the last four years? Nick Nurse is available. Frank Vogel's unemployed. Mike Budenholzer just got fired. This feels like the perfect offseason if you're going to make that kind of a move, doesn't it? If you believe one of those three is a better option, and maybe it's somebody else. Uh, sure. Last week, I threw out the pie-in-the-sky idea of the Bucks going after Greg Popovich. By the way, if you want a head coach that can train up a uh, a center, mm-hmm. Greg Popovich has a resume there. He's done work He's with some pretty good centers some in his Some pretty time. big names, I would say. Even Twin Towers at one point, centers. Even Tiago Splitter. Oh, my God. <laughs> he had Boris Dioff for a little bit, too. Uh, but no, I mean, Matt Ishbia has an interesting choice to make here. Because there are options available with championship resumes. He might have come in and purchased the team with somebody in mind already for, hey, down the road, I might consider hiring this person that I know and like, that I respect a lot. He might have a name that we're not even thinking of, I mean, but these I, are the obvious ones. I can tell you that that Michigan State connection kind of hangs over the head like a big, heavy, dark cloud. The reason being is if you've been paying attention to these postseason games you look at who Ishbia has been inviting. There's one that has been to quite a few of these playoff games in recent memory. Who's that? Isaiah Thomas. Oh, boy. Yeah. It's one of those grown things, but it is also a realistic outcome for someone who's got a good relationship with the guy 
and a lot of other members of the Michigan State and the bad boy Pistons era. Like Ishbia has gone on record and said that's the team that he grew up on. Right. He was he had even told this station several times that when the Bulls knocked off the Pistons in 93, he was rooting for the Suns. He didn't like the Bulls. He's rooting for the team against the team that beat his team. Team. I don't like the idea of Isaiah Thomas just because of the the stuff under the rug. Look, so I don't to like, speak. I don't like any idea of having Isaiah Thomas anywhere in this building, anywhere with this front office organization, anywhere in any of that regard because of that. And even just the performance. That he's put together. It was not a good performance with Legend, the Knicks. Legendary player. Uh, I don't love the track record since. Not all I, players just lead to great everything else. I know. I know. But what role does he fill, too? Is it an executive role? Is it a business role? Is it a basketball front office does role? Does he even want a role? He's on uh, NBA TV. Like It's not like he's out of a job right now. I can't imagine it's a coaching role. Would it be a coaching role? Mm. I don't know about that. Here's Look, an out-of-the-box idea. Okay. What about Matt Ishbia's coach from college? Uh, that might require a steep, steep, Tom steep Izzo. How old is he? Born in 1955. Quick, do math, Mitch. 1955. How old is, is Tom Izzo? my understanding that there would be no math. 45 plus 23. 68. 68? He's 68? Yeah, we'll go with 68. Does Tom Izzo have a burning desire at the end of his career to be an NBA head coach? Going from Let's just every, try it, right? Going from for every... Oh, that's that's exactly how we want to handle this, right? We just want to try it? If you're Ishbia, who does he respect more in basketball than Tom okay, Izzo? No, 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 no. I'm more upset with the way you phrased it. You've got Kevin Durant for three more years. Devin Booker is about to enter a Supermax contract. And our assumption is we're going to make a change at head coach because we want to try it? No, 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 no. I wasn't speaking from my perspective or even the Suns. I was more speaking from Tom Izzo's. Does he want to be an NBA head coach? Hey, let's try it. That's him. You know what I mean? Because he's got nothing left to achieve at the college level. He's very comfortable there. I can't imagine him leaving. It doesn't seem likely to me that Tom Izzo would be the next head coach of the Suns. Don't get me wrong. Look, I don't think I'm just of, throwing it out as an idea. I don't think any of those major college coaches want to go anywhere. No, I mean, if, if they've got it made. Like, if they're locked in, like John Calipari, for example, he's not going anywhere. I would think Bill not. Self, he's not going anywhere. But if we're those talking about... going somewhere when they retire. That's when they go. If we're talking about people that Matt Ishbia knows, loves, and respects... I just assume Tom Izzo is very high on that list. Sure. I'm not disagreeing. So I, I, can't, I can't eliminate him from the possibilities in my mind. Monty Williams in the exit interviews was asked about his future yesterday. I've always felt like I have to do my job, not worry about it. But you do scan the landscape and see what's going on, and you know that it could be a part of anybody's tenure, you know. And so from my perspective, you do the best you can, and if things don't turn out the way you want them to, you can you can sleep and rest because you did the best you could, and that's all you can do. But I'm, I'm not closed-minded to what I've seen around the league. A lot of these guys who've lost their jobs, they're good friends of mine, and um, I know the types of coaches they are and the types of people they are, so... It's just a part of our our NBA economy. I don't think I can emphasize it enough how this offseason may or may not be their best chance at, if anything, improving from Monty Williams, which feels asinine to say because he's been a very good head coach for the team and he's gotten them out of the decade rut that they were in. He was the right coach at the right time. But guess what? To your point, how many NBA champion coaches did you list off at the beginning of this segment? Three of the last four champions. Steve Kerr is the only one that still has a job in the last four years. And he's not going anywhere. No. Can't imagine he would. So would you rather have, let's keep it to these four, would you rather have Monty Williams, the current head coach, 
Would you rather have Mike Budenholzer? Would you rather have Frank Vogel? Or would you rather have Nick Nurse? Admittedly, I don't know a lot about Nick Nurse. I don't spend a lot of time watching Raptors games. And from what I remember of that finals team, it was mostly just Kawhi taking the entire world by storm that's, by himself. That's uh, Admittedly, that's my vantage point, too. Is okay. His first year, he had Kawhi Leonard, and they won the finals. So, no offense to Nick Nurse. I think he's a good coach. Against he's obviously won a championship. that lost two of their best players at the worst possible time. I'm not going with Nick Nurse. He's at the bottom of my list just because of that. I, I don't know a lot about him or sure his strategy head coach totally agree Just don't know enough he's deserving of being in this top four list we've come up with but sure. he's at the bottom of that list unfortunately for me okay uh frank vogel i'm not particularly interested although from what i know of him he's a pretty good defensive mind very and this team's offense is already kind of figured out i mean devin booker and durant are going to be your top two scores every single night yeah so if there's something you're going to focus on i would think defense would be something that would appeal to not only those two players, but to the organization as a whole. So I like Frank Vogel as an option. Mike Budenholzer is an offensive mind, which is something that I think a lot of teams would be scared of. Mike Budenholzer plus Devin Booker and Kevin Durant running his offense, that's scary. That's I mean, one of the best offensive minds plus two of the best offensive players. Worked pretty well with the last offensive player he got to work with. He's got a great track record. He won a ton in Atlanta at a time when they, they did not have nobody. an impressive roster. They had nobody in Atlanta at that time. And then he won a ton with the Bucks, and he basically helped turn Giannis into the greatest player in the league, in the world. Yeah. So I love the Budenhauser idea. And then Monty, I think you're right. We have to put this in appropriate context. Monty won uh, at the, he was the right coach at the right time. I loved the hire. The fact that you got him when the Lakers were also looking at him just makes mm-hmm. it that much sweeter. Monty's a great coach. I don't want to see Monty go necessarily, but you have to look at all the other pieces. You have to look at Aiton and Paul and and all these other things and say, can we can Monty and his staff make those pieces better? And I think Monty is disinterested in Aiton. So if Aiton stays, you might be looking at Monty going. I hate to make it that simple. No, it is that simple. That's the problem. What is not so simple, however, is the guy at point guard. Is the point guard, does he have one more left in him? Let's try to figure that out next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Here's the conundrum with Chris Paul. You can either bring him back for 30 million or pay him out for 15 million and he goes away and plays for somebody else. He sounded like a guy during his exit interviews by the way who is not retiring. I mean, this is a guy who wants to play basketball and continue to play basketball at a high level. Well, he put it short to your point yesterday. My contract not up, but I, you know what I mean? Unfortunately, I'm not the the GM or anything like that. You know what I mean? So we'll see. So it sounds like he's expecting to play, but also there's a little bit of uh, uncertainty there, kind of in his voice, it sounds like. Yeah, he's guaranteed 15.8. So let's let's call it 15 to 16 million this season. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. So you could pay him that and tell him to go away, and mm-hmm. that opens up at least a roster spot. The problem I have here is if that counts against the cap, then what point guard are you getting to replace him that's probably going to cost you. What's an average point guard cost you? You think 10, 10 to fifteen million? 
I per season? Say, I would say about 12. Okay, 12. So somewhere in that range. So now yeah. add that 12 to the 15 that you're paying Chris Paul, and that's now a $27 million point guard. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you rather just have Chris Paul for 30? Yeah, That's I mean, kind of where I'm at. I mean, in comparison, I've got a list here of some of the point guards who are going to be available. Okay. Granted, the ones at the top are a little more bloated in terms of the contract. Russell Westbrook's $46 million. Is he, on here, but that he was impressed a, me during that Clippers series. But sure, but he's not getting forty six. He's a locker room cancer too. James Harden is listed as a shooting guard, but he very much plays point for Philly. He made forty two last year. Like, wait, these are people that are under contract or available? They're going to be a free agent. James Harden's a free agent. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. It's a player option, but he's probably going to opt out for a better deal. I don't know how you could get him on the roster. Kyrie made 34 last year. D'Lo made 29. Like, those are the top-end guys. I feel like if you're looking for point guard replacement, Derek Rose made 14, but he barely played. And that's basically it in that upper tier. A lot of the other guys are shooting guards. Kobe White made 6. That's what I'm saying, man. Kendrick Nunn made 5. He's long removed from the touted prospect he was supposed to be. What starting point guard is out there and available to you that you could sign that you add to that $15 million that they're paying Chris Paul to go away that equates to Chris Paul? I'd rather just pay the guy $30 million to be back. Uh, how about a project one who's, you know, he's been around for a while. He might be done. Who knows? But George Hill only made $4 million last year. Doesn't appeal to me. That's Part of the other problem. The player doesn't appeal to me. Is that this this free agent class is very, very weak. Do you want Dennis Schroeder? Not he really. two mil last year. Not really. Not really. The only scenario I see where Chris Paul is gone, this is just me, and I maybe I'm missing some of the math here, but the only scenario I see where he's gone is if he is traded for his replacement somehow. Who do you think his replacement will be? Because I've got one guy in mind. I, I honestly a, don't think there will be a replacement. But we can play that game. Someone who's Kevin Durant has played with very recently. Uh, Kyrie. Who could be signed and traded from Dallas if you need to. Why would Dallas Although take on re- Chris Paul? It would realistically, they wouldn't take on Chris Paul. They would take on DeAndre Aiden. Then what happens with Paul? You would probably eat 15. And he becomes scenario. a free agent. I mean, Ky- look, for every problem that Kyrie has been at the center of in his career, he's 31 in comparison to Chris Paul's 38. So you have time, and he still very much has a skill set that, you know, makes other point cards jealous, in my Does opinion. Aiton Aiton for Irving doesn't compute for me. It could. Maybe the numbers match, but what else do you have to add to that deal? It's not like they have tradable first-round picks until 2029. They don't have second-round picks to well, give away for the Dallas most part. Dallas also doesn't have first-round picks. So maybe it's just a player-for-player player swap. What else would you throw? And you do some first-round pick swapping in later years. So, like, Aiton and Shamit for Irving? Does Dallas? Does that even appeal to Dallas? No, I think Dallas would pay. So they would sign him to something at around 30 a year, okay. around the same as Aiton, and you would just swap the two, and maybe you would have some first-round swaps down the road because you anticipate Dallas getting better and you anticipate Phoenix getting worse. So if you're Dallas, you try to I don't know that you off- do. I think Irving is the far superior player to DeAndre Ayton. I don't think that's a fair deal. But you have to wonder, does Dallas want to do that again, or would Dallas prefer a pick-and-roll partner for Luka? I don't disagree that basketball-wise, Ayton might be a better fit with Luka, which is ironic because they could have picked Luka over Ayton in that draft. (laughs) Uh, Uh, But 
Irving's the superior player. You're not going to trade him for a guy that's not as good as him, even if it is a better positional fit, in my opinion. Okay, the only example I can give, and maybe we're looking at this differently now, but when the Kings traded away Tyrese Halliburton to get DeMontis Sabonis, yeah. it was looked at as an abject failure by the Kings, was it not? Uh, you traded away a better up-and-coming player for a guy who has been okay. Mm-hmm. And granted, we found out he was kind of out of position the whole time. The Kings saw something in Sabonis that they thought they could bring out of him that they ended up doing. And it ended up and bringing a lot out of De'Aaron Fox, too. Right. Right. Okay. I see your point. So positionally, it brought a lot out of both. Could flopping, uh, flip-flopping. Flopping. You know what I mean. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of flopping. Luca's involved. Uh, If they flip-flop Irving for Aiton, would that unlock something in Luca? I hate to even say unlock. Luca's already one of the greatest playoff scorers of all time. What more is there for him to show up? It's really more about unlocking Aiton. Would Aiton be better as a player in Dallas than he would be in Phoenix? Yeah, probably because Luca just makes guys better. He'd be the second best player on that team. Over what, Maxi Kleba? Like that's the other I know this is supposed to be a Chris Paul discussion, but real quick on Aiton too. That's the other thing is we talk about, you know, like the fresh start that Tim McMahon reported that Aiton would be interested in a fresh start, right? I get that. Totally get it. But would Aiton be a better player where he's the guy, where he's the best or second best player on a team that's maybe not so good versus he's he can't even be that guy now and he's supposed to be the fourth best player on the team. If he can't be the fourth best here, what makes him more likely to be awesome as the guy somewhere else? I don't get that logic. Sometimes teams make mistakes. It just works out that way. But then again, we had that Mikel Bridges discussion earlier where he couldn't, at times, didn't look like the third best player here, but then he goes to Brooklyn and he's the guy. And he's having 45-point games and 38-point games frequently. And like the Warriors, and I'll even throw the Miami Heat in this conversation, they get one great playoff run or one great year out of Jordan Poole and Duncan Robinson, and then what happens? You're just kind of sunk. There's a way for the Suns to get out of this sunk, and maybe part of it is involving the Dallas Mavericks. Who knows? Here's another question I'll give you in the context of this Chris Paul discussion. Mm Mm-hmm. Do the Suns need a third star? Let's let's say that you don't think Chris Paul is a star anymore. He's lost a bit of a step. Totally okay. accept that. DeAndre Ayton's not a star. Never developed into one. Do the Suns need a third star? Does it have to be a Kyrie Irving, a Damian Lillard, a... I'm just throwing out names. I'm not saying these people are available. I know you're throwing out names, and I'm I'm shaking my head no. They don't the need one. That, but... But the problem is you're locked in. I mean, Chris Paul's right. He's not a free agent. He's got two years left on his deal. One's partially guaranteed. One's non-guaranteed. I I honestly just think the way the math works out, pay the guy $30 million to be back unless you're trading him for his replacement, in which case I'm open to that conversation and how that works cap-wise. But then it's like we go back to square one. What replacement are you going to be able to get? Kyrie's going to be the one that's talked about the most. And but reportedly, the third superstar. Reportedly, the Suns were interested in getting Durant and Irving from uh, Brooklyn, but they couldn't put the package together. I mean, look what they had to throw together to get just Durant. Imagine what they would have had to throw in extra to get Kyrie Irving. I don't even know what that would have looked like. I feel like there's going to be a lot of throwing numbers around this offseason. And is Dallas done with Kyrie Irving? I don't know that to be a fact either. He's only been there a couple of months. Right. I don't even know that he's available. 
I don't know. They traded for him when they were the fourth seed, and they finished 11th. It's true. They did kind of end up tanking there at the end. Does that method work, or does it not work? And if it doesn't work, then what area do you need to address? Dallas was very poor in the paint last season after they moved on from literally every wing that they had. Maybe that's where they start to make changes. All right, coming up next, we were talking about this earlier. If there's ever a time for new owner Matt Ishbia to make some changes in the Suns organization, it's probably now. And I'm here to tell you, he's already started making changes just today. That's coming up next on Arizona Sports Saturday.